listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Wednesday nights ago during our Renew service, I did a teaching on the seven redemptive names of God. And we were looking at seven different names by which God revealed himself, made himself known to us. And each name of God that he reveals, each one is a different perspective, each name in that it reveals something new concerning the infinite the inexhaustible, the measureless beauty of the nature and the character of God. And for the last several years, I've been warning you that I was going to do a series on the names of God, and I'm going to honor that threat. And I want to just begin to unveil and to begin to look at some of the different names by which God reveals himself to us. Because in those names, God is revealing something to us about his nature, his character, his attributes. Here's how David put it in Psalm 27 verse 4. He said, one thing, one thing above all else I have declared and desired of the Lord that I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now to behold the beauty of the Lord, it simply means that we are here to be fascinated. God, we want to see you in a way that will captivate us. God, in a way that will leave us awestruck by what we see, by what we hear, by what we learn and know, by the essence of who you are. To behold the beauty of the Lord, it is to encounter, it is to experience in a very real and in a tangible way God's emotions, his heart. God is an emotional God. To know his heart, to know his passions. What is God passionate about? He desires to reveal that to us. His desires toward us. Last week I said God has precious thoughts that he thinks towards you. And he longs to reveal those precious thoughts to you. God wants to reveal his heart to you. And one of the ways that the beauty of the Lord that David talked about in there is revealed to us is when God is revealed to our hearts through his names. Now that word inquire there, where he says to inquire in his temple, that word there, inquire in the Hebrew, it means to look into attentively, thoroughly, carefully, with great care and diligence, to look at with pleasure, to behold with admiration. To admire. That's what David is calling us to. God desires that we would behold his beauty. To be able to look upon him with pleasure. Admiration. And one of the ways that God is designed for us to do that. One of the pathways that God has made for us to walk. And to discover that. 
is by looking at the names in which he has revealed himself to mankind. Genesis 1.1 starts off this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now that word God there in the Hebrew is the name Elohim. And that is the first name that God reveals to us. And in that name, God, Elohim, he is telling us something about himself regarding his beauty, his nature, his character, his attributes. No one name can fully capture or describe God because God is infinite. He is limitless. God has no beginning and no end. He was before there was ever a beginning. He is matchless and you cannot exhaust the depths of his being. Because of who he is, no one name fully captures the essence of who God is. However, the names that God has chosen to reveal to us concerning himself are intended to tell us something about who he is, how he feels, his heart towards you and me. And what God begins disclosing and revealing of himself in this lifetime continues in the life to come because we will be forever discovering and peering and looking into the infinite depths of God, learning more about his heart, his passions, his desire, his character, his nature, his attributes. So there in the beginning, he discloses and he reveals himself to us as Elohim. And that name God, Elohim, it is used over uh, 2,500 times alone in the Bible. It is a name God wants us to know. And that name Elohim in the Hebrew, it really describes God's greatness and his glory. It references and it speaks to his power and his sovereignty. And the name Elohim, it reveals to us a God who creates. That name Elohim, it speaks to us of a God who is all-powerful. A God who is relational. A God who makes covenant. We see that name Elohim, the one who creates. We see that on full display through the six days of creation. Again, as we witness, as we read, we hear that raw power of God's creation through the six days of creation as God spoke into being things that did not exist. We see right off the bat in Genesis 1-3, then God, Elohim said, let there be light, and there was light. There was no light before he spoke those words, and after he spoke those words, that which did not exist came into being and existed. He is Elohim, the God who creates. Before he spoke those words, it says in verse 2 that the earth, it was formless, it was void, there was darkness over the surface of the deep, and into that deepness, into that void, into that darkness... God's presence breaks forth and by the power of his word the void is filled and the formless begins to take shape and through each act of creation God speaks and by the sheer power of his words through things that did not exist they suddenly come in 
to existence. That is our creator. That is Elohim, all-powerful. Hebrews 11.3 confirms, it says, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things that were, are not seen were made of things which do appear. Now a lot of people think that the light that God created on day one there in Genesis was the sun. But if you read through the days of creation, what you come to discover is the sun and the moon are not created until the fourth day. So when God said, let there be light and there was light, what was the light? It was God's glory. It was Elohim's essence. It was God manifesting himself. God simply allowing the glory that he is to just begin to spill over into the darkness. And it could not hold his glory back. Elohim, again, that name reveals to us he is a God of glory. And one of the first things he causes to break forth there in creation is his glory. Because he is Elohim. What is God's glory? God's glory. It is the infinite beauty. That's what David Long to see. That was the one thing David set his heart to there in Psalm 27, 4. To behold his beauty. The glory of God is his infinite beauty. And greatness of God's manifold perfections. God is perfect in infinite ways. His glory is a manifestation of those manifold perfections. The glory of God, again, it is the physical, the outward manifestation of his character, his nature, his attributes, his nature, his worth. When we behold God's grace, it is his beauty. When we partake of God's mercy, it is his beauty. When we behold God's righteousness, he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus is what the scripture says. That righteousness, it is his beauty being given, manifesting in us and through us. It is his beauty. Every attribute, every part of God's infinite being, every aspect of his character consists of and is made up of his beauty. And when we see that, when we experience that, we are partaking of his beauty. It is the one thing that David said he desired. And I'll tell you what, when you begin to see his beauty, you too will be like David. It will be the one thing, the only thing that you will desire. Nothing else will satisfy. In Isaiah 5, 6, just one of the many places in Scripture, here's what Isaiah declares. He says, and the holy God will show himself holy in righteousness. The glory of God is the way 
He reveals himself in holy righteousness. You could say that the glory of God, it is the manifest beauty of his holiness. This is such a hard word to describe. The glory of God is like God going public with his holiness. So when God said, let there be light, it was a public display of his holiness, his glory manifesting, breaking forth across the earth. There's a song we sing here, how great is our God. And there's a line in that song, and a couple Wednesday nights ago, Leslie really brought this out as we were worshiping. There's a line in there that says, he wraps himself in light. And darkness tries to hide. That, that's what happened that day of creation. God came wrapped in that glorious light and the darkness retreated. The light that God wraps himself in, it is his glory. And it is that glory of God that broke forth over the darkness there in Genesis 1-3. It was the same glory that manifested when Jesus took Peter, James, and John and they went up into the mountain and it says Jesus was transfigured before them. Matthew 17 verse 2 says Jesus transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his garments became white as light. Again, it is the glory of God breaking forth, the glory of God in Jesus going public. It's a manifestation of the glory of God, even though there at that time it was just momentarily. There is coming a day when that will break forth forever and ever. As the angels in Isaiah 6, 3 cried, holy, 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 they also declared the whole earth is full of your glory. The glory of God is covering the earth today. That is the public display of his infinite beauty and the greatness of his manifold perfections. It was the glory of Elohim at the beginning of creation that was the light that was dispelled and the darkness. And it will be the glory of God that will illuminate the new heaven and the new earth. Look at what Revelation 21, this is again telling us what we have to look forward to in the coming age, the coming kingdom. Verse 10 says, and he, God, carried John away in the spirit to a great and a high mountain. And, and there he was shown the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Now look at how he describes it. He says, her brilliance, in reference to the glory of God, her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. Revelation 22 Referring to the new heaven and the new earth. Verse 5 says, and there will no longer be any night. And they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun. There will be no more sun. Because the Lord God will illumine them. What is he going to illumine them with? His glory. And they will reign forever and ever. The glory of Elohim. That's what his name reveals. I'm a God of glory. So we would expect God to reveal his glory. And he does that in the first 
movement of creation. Let there be light. It is the glory of God that illumined the earth there in Genesis 1-3. And it will be that same glory that will illuminate the new heaven and the new earth. And the good news is, as those of us who are born again, we will be illuminated with that same glory glory and we will reign with him forever and ever amen we will get to see and experience that glory in all of its brilliance in the kingdom to come what we will see what we will experience it will be the beauty it will be his beauty It's also interesting that the name Elohim is plural. It's not singular. The first name by which God reveals himself is in the plural. And what he is revealing to us there is again the Trinitarian Godhead there in the very beginning. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, all present, all active in creation As a matter of fact, Genesis 1-2 refers to the Spirit of God moving over the surface of the waters. John 1-2 referring to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. There it says, He, the Son, was in the beginning with God. He's referring back there to Genesis. In the beginning. He, the Son, was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, the Son. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. A few verses later, verse 10, it says, He, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him. The truth is, before Jesus became clothed with human flesh and lived and walked among us as a man, he already existed in eternity within the Godhead and was active with the Father and the Holy Spirit in creation. Again, all of this is being revealed to us through the name of Elohim. You've got to ask God, God, open the eyes of my heart, open the eyes of my understanding. Beloved, as we become acquainted with the names of God and we begin to see and to understand and to experience what God is showing to us in the revelation, God's intent in revealing himself to us in this way, it is intended by design. God is purposely seeking to captivate your heart. He's seeking to draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. Nothing, nothing, nothing will ignite your heart. Nothing will set your heart ablaze. Nothing will draw you into a deeper walk with God than beholding and encountering his beauty and allowing your heart to just become occupied and overwhelmed and ignited By that beauty he longs to show you. The problem for so many believers, and I've been there, I've done this. Is we come into God's presence or we try to come into God's presence and we lack 
any exhilaration. We have no fascination concerning him. We wonder why our prayers are so dry, why they're so ineffective, why are we so distant from him, why does he feel so far away? It's because our hearts lack pleasure, fascination, wonder, admiration of and about him. He longs to open your heart to his heart. He longs to allow you to look into his infinite beauty. The boredom in our prayers, the distance in our relationship with God is really our boredom with God. But God has not created us in such a way as to be bored with him. God has created us in such a way to reveal his beauty. And in the revealing of that, our hearts are captivated. Our hearts come alive unto him. It births within us a hunger that can never be satisfied only by more of him. It creates in us a thirst that can never be satisfied but more of him. Our lack of fascination, our inability, our unwillingness to behold, to experience his beauty, his glory, his splendor in any meaningful, inspirational way is why many of us have no desire to pursue him. This is not God's heart towards you. God longs to fascinate your heart with his beauty. And when our hearts engage his hearts, when we become fascinated and awestruck by him and by his beauty. It will become the catalyst. It will become the foundation. It will be the pathway to take us deeper and deeper into the heart of God. You and I, you were the crowning achievement of Elohim's creation. In the order of creation, God saved the best for last. Elohim's final act of creation was he made you and I and he made us in his image and in his likeness. Everything else up to this point, God just spoke it into being. He said, let it be, and it was. When it came to you and I, God took clay from the ground and he began to shape and he molded it with his own hands. There was no speaking God worked with his hands and he created and he shaped and he molded mankind into his image and his likeness. And when he was done, God took the breath of God and he blew it into that lump of clay and it became a living being. He didn't do that with any other aspect of creation. That makes you and I unique, special. We have been set aside for a special relationship that no other part of creation can have. He wants to reveal this. He wants to open up our eyes more and more to the image and the likeness of him that we bear within. Because of the name, Elohim speaks of his relational nature. He's eternally in fellowship with the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
And we were created in his image and in his likeness. And we have been invited into that fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, by means of his resurrection, now has a human body. There is a man who is now a part of that infinite fellowship of the Father and the Holy Spirit. And we have been invited into that fellowship of his heart. Part of Elohim's image and likeness we bear within ourselves is the desire, the yearning for eternity. Every one of us in this room... God has placed eternity within our hearts. There's a part of every one of us that longs for and desires to live forever. That's part of that eternity that Ecclesiastes 3 says that God has placed in our hearts. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Verse 11, he also put eternity in the hearts of man. That eternity God placed within the hearts of every created person can only be satisfied with eternal realities the eternalness in you the only way that that can be satisfied and fulfilled is by eternal realities and God is the only eternal source there's nowhere else to go Lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life was Peter's declaration to Jesus only you Jesus have the words of eternal life the eternal in me is satisfied by the eternal in you. There's nowhere else to go. Our beings were designed intentionally, on purpose, with an insatiable craving that can only be satisfied by the eternal matters of an eternal God. And to behold and to experience the beauty of the Lord is one of the ways God can satisfy our heart's desire and yearning for eternity. To know, to experience, to feel the love of God, to partake of his grace, to experience his faithfulness toward us. These are just a few of the ways that God desires to satisfy that yearning of eternity into our hearts. Isaiah 61, 3 mentions, it says he gives them beauty for ashes. How many of you are sitting here this morning with ashes? God longs to make an exchange with you. He's going to take those ashes and in place he's going to give you beauty. Elohim created each one of us in this place with that longing, that yearning, that desire to be fascinated, to be occupied, to marvel, to be exhilarated with his beauty. Again, when I say the beauty of God, I'm referring again to his heart, his emotions, his desires, his passions regarding you, his thoughts, his attributes, those very things he revealed in his son Jesus Christ. And when our spirit, our inner spirit, our inner man connects with the spirit of God and comes into fellowship with God's spirit, when he begins to reveal himself to us, again, it just sets our hearts on fire. It just sets within us a, a blaze to just desire more and more of him, to pursue him more deeply. 
again, our boredom with God for many of us. And I've been there. I've done this. I know what this feels like. Our boredom with God is because he is a stranger and he is unknown to us by our own choosing. Romans 1 clearly states, since the creation of the world, the invisible attributes, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have clearly been seen. Being understood, revealed through what was made so that they are without excuse. And it goes on in Romans to say, we have simply chosen to suppress that truth in unrighteousness. Righteousness is his beauty. Unrighteousness is a lack of his beauty. And not because he doesn't have it, we just won't pursue it. We won't receive it. We won't seek after it. It's there. When that insatiable, again, that eternal craving within us, when that comes into contact and fellowship with the eternal, everlasting God, it will bring us to a place of awe, of wonder, of fascination with him, and a hunger and a thirst to experience more and more. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 13, 11, he says to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. He says, for whoever has, has what? The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. For whoever has that, Jesus says, more shall be given. And he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, or behold, or experience, the mysteries of the kingdom of God, what he has been given, will be taken away from him. Every one of you this morning, God wants to give you a new, a fresh, a deeper revelation inside, into his nature, into his character. As you receive that, as you begin to walk in that, as you begin to receive that, God will begin to give you more and more and more. And as you respond, God will just continue to pour into you. And you're going to have an abundance of revelation about God. And out of that abundance, there's just going to come great, uncontainable joy. But to those of you that have and refuse, it will be taken away. Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 7, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. Because he's Elohim, he is a God of glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age had understood. Why? Because they didn't want to. They had every opportunity to receive, to hear from the Son of God. And they refused. They chose to walk in unbelief, in unrighteousness. And what they had was taken from them. He said, for if they had understood... They would not have crucified the Lord of glory, but as it is written, and here he's quoting portions of Isaiah, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. But to us, 
to his children, his sons, his daughters, Paul says. To those who believe, who long for more and more of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So for the Spirit of God searches all things, even the depths, the deep things of God. And he says, for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God knows the depths of God. And he says, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. So that we may know. That's intimacy. That word know there. It's a word of intimacy. That we may know intimately. Freely the things given to us by God. Which things we also speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom. But those taught by the spirit. I want what you're hearing this morning. Not to be taught in human wisdom. I don't want my human wisdom in any of this. I want the spirit of God in all of this. combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. That's what I'm doing. I'm saying, God, give me your spiritual thoughts. Give me the spiritual words. Bring them together, not in human wisdom, not in eloquence, but in power. He says, but a natural man, an unborn man, an unbeliever, he said, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. You know why? They're foolishness to him. He cannot understand them. Because they are spiritually appraised. To understand the spiritual, you got to be spiritual. To understand the Spirit of God, you got to have the Spirit of God. And the only way to get the Spirit of God is to be born of God. But he who is spiritual, the one who is born again, appraises, understands all things. Yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Again, Elohim, the God of creation, the all-powerful God of glory, the God of covenant, the God of relationship. Wants to impart, he longs, it's his desire, it's one of his passions towards you. He wants to open the eyes of your heart. He wants to enlighten your understanding. And he wants to give you revelation, knowledge, wisdom, insight through the Holy Spirit to your inner spirit. He wants to give you revelation of who he is because he knows that is the only way to ignite passion and desire and love for him and love for others. It's the only way. We've got to get that revelation spirit to spirit. The mystery Paul's referring to here is God's plan for mankind's redemption. It is the displaying of his power. God spoke so much. God revealed so much to us of his power, his nature, his character, his attributes. When Jesus Christ hung upon the cross, God was speaking volumes to us in that one man's act of sacrifice and obedience. No greater love, Jesus said, does a man have than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. When Jesus hung on that cross, it was the greatest demonstration of love that mankind has ever known or will ever know. And when we behold 
although horrific, when we behold the beauty of the love of God that was manifested to us as Jesus hung there on the cross, bled, dying, crucified for my sins and for your sins. It was God, it was all of heaven saying, there is no greater act of love towards you than this. Let me just close with this. 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, I'm sorry, Chapter 2, verse 3 says this. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men, every one of you in this room, to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Elohim, out of his relational desire, desires to be in relationship with you and me. When Jesus hung and died upon that cross, it was God's eternal Absolute yes. I want to be in relationship with you. The question no longer is, does God want a relationship with me? When Jesus died for the sins of mankind, when he hung on that cross and died, Jesus removed the one barrier that separated mankind Sinful mankind from a holy God. The question is no longer, do you, God, want a relationship with me? The question now, because what Jesus did on the cross for you and I, that, that, that greater love, the question now is God from himself to you. Do you want a relationship with me? I, I've, I've demonstrated, I want, I desire a relationship with you. That's not the question anymore. The question now is, do you want a relationship with me? Romans 10 verse 8 says, but what does it say? The word is near you. What is the word that is near you? Let me tell you. It said it's in your mouth. It's in your heart. Some of you have been, you've been suppressing this word in unrighteousness. It's in there. It's needing to come out. God placed it in there. God wrote that word in your heart. He wants that word to come forth. What is that word? That if you confess with your mouth, that is the word that needs to come forth. That is the word that needs to be spoken. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart, that's what's near in your mouth. That's what's near in your heart is the belief that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And the two of those, when you bring them together, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart a person believes... When you believe that God raised Christ from the dead, what that does is that produces, it results in righteousness. In that moment you believe that in your heart, you come into agreement with God's word that he raised Christ from the dead. When your heart comes into agreement with that word that is already in you, it results in righteousness. You go from a place of unrighteousness to a place of righteousness. You go from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You go as an enemy of God, you become a child, a son, a daughter of the most high God. That's righteousness. And that results when we just simply believe in our hearts God raised him from the dead.
It says, with the mouth that's near you, that word is in there. It wants to, it needs to come out. And when that word comes out, Jesus is Lord. It says it results in salvation. God has given us the right, the power, the authority to become his sons and daughters. He desires it. And when you just bring that confession of your mouth, that belief of your heart, when you just bring those two together, Paul says it results in salvation. The Bible says, I think it's the very last slide, now. Folks, if you understood all that I've said here this morning and you've never responded to that invitation of God, now is the acceptable time. Today. If you know you need to confess Jesus as Lord, if you know you need to just believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if those two things are operating in you right now, Today is the day to act on that. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month. Paul said now, today. Don't wait. Today is the acceptable time. I'm just going to invite you to stand this morning. And I'm just going to pray for you this morning. I want your hearts to come alive unto God in a way that they've never come alive before. And what I want you to understand, when God begins to cause your heart to just come alive unto him, it'll be good for today. But you know what? Tomorrow is a new day. It's a new revelation. It's new manna. It's a new word. It's a new revelation and God wants to take you deeper than you were today. And you know what? The day after that, God's going to want to take you deeper than you were the day before that. Every day is a new day, a new opportunity, a new revelation, a new insight. This isn't, this isn't a filling. It isn't a revelation for today and the rest of your days. It is a revelation. It is insight for today. And my prayer is, is that God begins to reveal his heart, his desire, his passions concerning you. About who he is. That it will bring a satisfaction in your heart today. But I'm also going to ask, God, would you create in them a hunger and a thirst. That tomorrow, God, today's won't be good enough. It won't be satisfying enough. It won't be fulfilling enough. And that God, tomorrow, would you meet the hunger and the thirst you create for a greater revelation of yourself. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit, come upon us. Move in our hearts this morning, God. Father, I just come against any knowledge that would set itself up against the knowledge of God in this place. You come down. Holy Spirit, begin to speak 
not to the minds of the people, but begin to speak to the inner being of the people. Begin to speak this morning. Begin to move spirit to spirit in this place. And God, I ask, Lord, that by the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit that searches the deep things of God, that, God, you would begin to go by your spirit. And, God, you would begin to visit. That, God, you would begin to reveal. That, God, you would begin to make known the deep things of the Spirit of God to our spirit this morning. And God, as we receive that revelation of who you are, as we receive that revelation of your great love, your mercy, your goodness, your kindness, your faithfulness to us, that God, you would ignite in our hearts this morning a hunger, a yearning, a longing for more and more of you, that God, we're not going to be satisfied on today's revelation. We're thankful for it. We want to walk in it. But God, tomorrow, for a new day, God, we ask for a new insight, new revelation. We want to go deeper tomorrow than we did today. Yet, God, we ask, Lord, that you would just meet us where we are in this day. God, I just ask for a manifestation of your power, of your glory. I ask, Father, for a revelation. Show us who you are. Reveal your heart to us. Reveal your thoughts, your desires, your passions. And God, in that, would you just captivate? Would you just ravish our hearts this morning? Would you just set us ablaze? For love with you, for you, about you, concerning you. That out of that love with which you pour into us, God, we would love you in return and love one another. And so, Father, we just thank you. We invite you, Holy Spirit, come, move. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.